Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. My name is Cody Haggard, and across the internet from me is my great friend, co-host, author, and first-time Father's Day celebrator with a child in the world, like you celebrated mm-hmm. last year, but still in the womb, but now in the world. And uh got to ask you, Zach, how are you doing? How was your first Father's Day? It was awesome, man. We had a great pool day at uh, my wife's uh, parents' house. Uh, we went and saw Lightyear, which was my most anticipated movie of the year which we will talk about get into some point but yeah man it was it was a good father's day that was my gift was we got to go see the movie my in-laws watched uh our son and lee and i had a nice little date night there you Um, go it was great man i always love going to the movies with her because we get our big bucket of popcorn and a large coke and we just have ourselves a good old time just watching watching whatever's Good. On screen, and you guys do okay when you go out. You don't get like parental anxiety or anything like that, or or detachment no. <laughs> issues or anything. Okay, I know some people do. I know what happens. I know that my my wife, she's fine. Like if she leaves the kids with our parents, but if we ever leave them with like a, a babysitter who's not a family member, she does get a little worried. Like what you know, what what is this babysitter gonna do? Like, he's gonna let our kids leave the house. And is she the I'm one that she not. like check her phone, call the babysitter? Like she'll check never in. she'll never call the babysitter babysitter and check in because I don't allow it. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know if she would, but if, yeah. if that were ever happening, I do have to say something and be like, Hey, just listen, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it is fine. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. the dynamic in our house. Glad to hear you had a good father's day. Mine was rather chill. We hung out at my house. My brother came over at a cookout and we just hung out. Kids played outside, bounced on the trampoline, did a bunch of you know, kids things where they were off doing mm. their own thing. We were chatting, sitting up. I got a little sunburn. It was a, it was <laughs> a good, good day. And I'm super excited today because I did finally get an opportunity to watch the movie that we are covering today with my kids. So we've been on this journey going through the Star Wars prequels. We just finished up Revenge of the Sith the other day and so i'm really excited to talk about revenge of the sith to give everyone listening just a little bit of a rundown of what we're talking about today revenge of the sith is our main topic after our main topic we're going to talk a little bit about a mail that we got we got some listener mail and then we are going to be sharing our favorite things that we have seen so far halfway through the year of 2022 but before we get into the meat of everything. I want to hand it over to Zach and have him fill you guys in on some things going on with Steel Lake Studio. Mainly invite you guys to check out some of the things that we have going on besides the podcast. So Zach, uh, what are some things that our audience could check out? If they like to hear us talk, what are some other things they could check out to get connected with us at Steel Lake Studio? Yeah, so you can head on over to steellakestudio.com, go to that community tab, get in touch with us, let us know what you think we should you know, talk about next, just thoughts on what we have already talked about. Um, we love having this be a kind of an open communication and a conversation. Um, over there, you can also check out 
my Terror Town books. So right now I have three books out at the moment. I've got uh, Nightmare at the Fair, which is the first one. We've got Something Strange at Grandma's House and the most recent one, The Beast of Big Bear Forest. Um, it is a series that you don't have to read in order. They are standalone novels. They all just take place in the same town. They're for middle grade readers. So if you have a young reader in your family or a cousin or someone that you know that's in middle school that is a ferocious reader or someone who wants something different, Terror Town is for them. Um, I like to define them as their middle grade suspense thrillers. Um, so they have sometimes a supernatural but nothing crazy element to them, but a lot of humor mixed in, um, good stories. So you can check those out over at steelakestudio.com. And the other thing you can check out at steelakestudio.com is our mailing list. You want to hop on this because I send out a bi-weekly newsletter kind of talking about information happening at Steel Lake Studio. I catch you up on the latest podcast in case you missed one. Um, I also take you through my writing journey through these books. I'm currently writing the fourth Terror Town book, very close to being done. Check out the newsletter for updates on that. But I also take you through stuff that, you know, I'm reading, I'm watching. We have a meme of the week going on right now. <laughs> yeah. So you can yeah. participate in that. Send us a meme that you think is funny and you could get a shout out in the mailing list. Um, and have your meme shown in our mailing list. So head on over, make that a conversation between us. Um, we love seeing people hop on that list and stay up to date on everything at Steel Lake Studio. All right. Yes, guys, please head over to steellakestudio.com. At least check out what we got going on over there. But now, at this moment in time, we're going to get into talking about Revenge of the Sith, and we like to travel back in time. Before we start talking about the movie, we're going back to 2005. Hello, Zach and Cody. Please keep all hands and feet inside the time machine at all times. Welcome to 2005. Have fun. All right, so back in 2005, we had a couple of good things and a couple of scary things happen within the year. So let's start off with some good, something cool. In 2005, guess how many pounds of apples the United States produced? Zach, give it a go. Give me your best guess. How many pounds of apples would you have guessed if you didn't peek at the numbers just now? <laughs> if I hadn't looked at the numbers, apples. Oh, I would have said probably like 500 million or something. Okay, like 500 that. million. Well, that Pro is... Wait, that's way too low. That is, that's way too low. That's that's grossly underestimating. <laughs> the yeah. United States produces... Like one apple per person. <laughs> 10 billion pounds of apples. 10 terrible billion guess. pounds of apples. That is a lot of apples. I didn't realize that um, people liked apples that much. 10 billion yeah. pounds. And this that's is great. this is... Apple's not Apple computer. However, it is a fantastic snack, biodegradable, healthy, all of the right things for apples. So eat your apples, everybody. Another cool thing that happened in 2005, and I know that we have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I just want to remind you at this point how old these sites are. But in 2005, YouTube and Reddit both launched, and they're coming up on being 20 years old. And I know a lot of times we think of like YouTube as still like a 
newer platform or a newer way to communicate, this website is getting close to 20 years old, which is absolutely wild. And we did have something terrible happen in 2005. In the fall of 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast in the United States, mainly doing tons of damage to the city of New Orleans, devastated it, and has really had long-lasting impacts even now. Being close to 20 years later, there are still housing communities that still never opened back up, still a ton of abandoned areas within the city. Katrina was rough. So that was a time, I think, where it was just one of those things where you kind of had 9-11, which was a way more catastrophe in 2001 that kind of brought people together. But I remember 2005, a lot of people coming together, sending Mm -hmm. aid, doing like prayer meets and sending uh, basically people to go down and work. And sometimes in the midst of catastrophe, you see people come together and unite and kind of act how humanity is supposed to. Yeah, very much the opposite of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the opposite of uh, the main plot line within our story for today. But also, as we are in the time machine, this is what the world was like in 2005. The five most popular websites. Search engine, Yahoo. Yahoo was the most popular search engine, not Google. Google was the second most popular search engine, and MSN was the third most popular website. (laughs) Coming in at fourth, MySpace. And get this, I had never heard Mm. this about MySpace before. In 2005, Mark Zuckerberg offered to sell Facebook to MySpace, and the deal didn't get done. Oh my goodness, MySpace probably kicks himself every single day and maybe they didn't have the money for it who knows but what a game changer that would have been yeah tom everybody's tom on my face just (laughs) totally whiffing on that dude i gotta say 2005 that was also peak myspace for Mm -hmm. me man like that was oh yeah you know top eight friends list i had my song playing when you hopped on oh yeah it was it was peak like i mean that was the evolution of chat rooms right there man was just like oh wow i have my own page to like be me on the internet that that was amazing like your top 10 friends and all that stuff and yeah dude talk about always a controversy at school like like, a super like toxic behavior (laughs) just like having friends who you legitimately rank like one through ten like oh man sorry dude you couldn't make the top 10 i know you come over to my house like every day but i remember it was it was kind of like a huge thing in my school when there were like these two guys that were like best friends best friend everyone knew they were best friends and it was like the 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 gossip of the week when one of them had taken their the other one down a peg on their top 10 list like it went they went from one to two and it's like someone else it wasn't even a girl or anything it was just another friend at school and it was just like oh my gosh are they fighting like are they gonna be friends like do you think something happened so it was i remember like that was school gossip that was drama like if people move there that's why i always kept tom as my top friend because i didn't want to cause any 
There any issues, any risks. Kevin Tom in the top friends. 10 always. Kept the peace. <laughs> Kept the peace, man. And lastly, the fifth most popular website, the wonderful AOL America Online, which is now owned by Verizon. Uh, all righty. So, top five box office hits of 2005. Coming in at number one, our topic for today, Revenge of the Sith, was the number one gross-grossing movie of 2005, Ooh. which didn't surprise me at all. Um, mm. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was number two. This one surprised me because I thought everyone hated this movie. Number three, <laughs> War of the Worlds starring Tom Cruise. Uh, number four, Chronicles of Ooh. Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. And number five, this one might be the most surprising because it is a rated R comedy. And we did talk about this. We have a full-blown episode on this movie. Wedding Crashers coming in at number five, which is All a right. hilarious film. Made a bunch of money and uh, still holds up well to this day. Not mm -hmm. politically correct whatsoever, but it is <laughs> hilarious. I want to list a couple honorable mentions here. Some good movies came out in 2005 that uh, just didn't make the top five box office. Uh, actually, number six was Batman Begins. Uh, I would say that Batman mm. Begins is a huge influential movie in superhero movies. Obviously, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, but I believe Batman Begins also being a success kind of mm -hmm. then cemented like, hey, people want to see good versions of these superheroes, like really well done movies, right? So you had Spider-Man, you had Batman, and then a couple years later, you get Iron Man, right? Who mm -hmm. is essentially kind of a blend of those two characters. The attitude of Spider-Man with the wealth of Batman. That's basically Tony Stark in a nutshell. Yeah. So... Uh, another movie I want to mention from 2005 is King Kong. Not because this is an amazing movie, but this was the first movie we got from Peter Jackson post Lord of the Rings. And I actually do enjoy this movie because, you know, I'm a haggard. And if you're haggard and you don't like King Kong, you are uh, basically not <laughs> blood. So, <laughs> so I had to put it up here as an honorable mention, as well as I think this cemented in stone that Peter Jackson will never make a movie shorter than three hours because <laughs> this was a three-hour rendition of King Kong that slogs at points. But, man, stylistically, it looks great, but yeah. it was a long one. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. lastly... This movie, I think, is what really put Steve Carell on the map pre-Office. Actually, I believe The Office kind of came out this same year, The 40-Year-Old mm -hmm. Virgin. So you got The 40-Year-Old Virgin coming in, Steve Carell becoming a megastar through The Office, and uh, <laughs> history after yeah. that. Top five shows. We'll go through these real quick because we've talked about these all before. American Idol, CSI, Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, and Without a Trace, which I have never watched. You ever watch Without a Trace? I can't say I have. I have actually seen, I haven't seen really any CSI ever either. I know it was like the thing for pretty much any year we pick in the 2000s. CSI is either the top show or in the top five, but I've never seen CSI. I've never seen Without a Trace. I've seen the other three episodes really? of the other three. Yeah. Wow, never seen CSI, man. That show just like that stuff doesn't really. I don't know something about you know the the daytime e television crime fighting units just doesn't. I don't. It to me, it just seems too. I don't know too cliche or I I, I sound like a okay total 
a bit of a snob. D-bag it's okay. there. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, I ta- I, yeah, too, it's too cliche for well, me. No, it's just, it seems surfacey, and I, I want more subs. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, at the risk of sounding way too snobby, I'm not going to keep going. Well, no, I think it's fair to say that, like, procedural television isn't necessarily either of our tastes. Yeah. I like episodes of CSI, but for me, it's like, hey, you can watch CSI episode one and then CSI episode 100 and enjoy both equally, right? Like, mm-hmm. Whereas I like more interconnected narratives, personally. Like, the purely episodic storytelling of older television is like, hey, it's fun for, like, the occasional watch. Not my favorite thing. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's it. I think also that just... Isn't it the meme with, like, the guy with the sunglasses? Is that CSI where... He, it's it's like that might be a, that might with be, like a uh, pun thrown in. Maybe I have the wrong show. They get those, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that is CSI. Is it yeah. CSI? Okay, yeah. I don't know. I I would watch it for that guy. I f- I find that funny. Yeah. But yeah, never never watched CSI. My family wasn't really into CSI either. I think if they would have been, yeah. I probably would have watched more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And now, guys, we are not going to delay any longer before we start talking about Revenge of the Sith because I sure do have a lot of things to say about this movie, tons of things to say about this movie, good and bad and in between. But I just want to give you guys the story plot, the summary, as according to me. The Jedi find themselves deeply involved in the Clone Wars, hoping to bring down General Grievous and the rest of the Separatists in order to finally bring peace to the galaxy. However, there is a darkness in the Force that seems to have a different desire in how this war plays out. Anakin Skywalker, now a Jedi Knight, finds himself in a troubling place for he regularly has visions of the death of his wife Padme during the birth of their child. Due to their secret marriage, those whom Anakin would seek counsel from cannot properly guide him, for attachments are against the Jedi way. Thus, leading our hero to seek wisdom from a more questionable source, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. Palpatine reveals to Anakin that he knows the ways of the Force, even the ways of the dark side, and that there might be a way that he could help save Padme's life. Through deception, Anakin turns to the dark side, embracing his new identity as Darth Vader, and Palpatine executes a plan long in the making to use Anakin and help bring down and destroy the Jedi. Anakin's fate is decided through a duel with his mentor and best friend, Obi-Wan Kenobi, where our tragic hero is defeated by the Master and left for dead to burn by a river of lava. Padme unfortunately dies from a broken heart during childbirth or post-childbirth. For Luke and Leia are the twins that are born, but the children are separated and put in secret places with their identities never fully being revealed. Yoda and Obi-Wan go into hiding, Obi-Wan promising to watch after young Luke on the planet Tatooine as he is raised by his uncle and aunt. And Leia finds herself being sent to a much more desirable living arrangement on <laughs> on, on everyone's favorite planet that ends up getting destroyed in the next film. What's the name of the planet? I can't even remember. Uh, Alderaan. 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 There we go. I was waiting for you to say it. 
Alderaan. Ah, I was doing so well. I should have written yeah, it down. No, you're good. You're good. At the end of the film, we see Anakin put together with cybernetic limbs and a respirator suit, thus becoming the iconic Darth Vader who will bring terror to the galaxy. But as this movie closes, there is one thing that we must remember before it fades to black. Anakin Skywalker, the hero of this prequel trilogy, there is still good in that man, which will be resolved Mm. later. Yes, yes, much later. All right, man, so that's Revenge of the Sith in a uh, few sentences. Hopefully that helps refresh everybody's memory on all that happens there. I tried to tighten up this plot summary a little bit more than I normally do instead of rambling on for like 10 minutes. But uh, that's Revenge of the Sith. I feel like we hit all the major story beats. But, Zach, I want to hear from you. I've been talking for a long time. First time you saw this movie, what did you think? So this was the first movie in the prequels that I had not seen in theaters. Wow. And it was how did you not go to the theater for this movie? I know it was out of character. It was out of character of me to not see this in theaters. And I think just I was 15 and like I just I don't know. I had it was prime video gaming and like friend hangout season for me. And just I didn't. I kind of fell out of love of Star Wars for a little bit. Um, I think, honestly, after Attack of the Clones, I was like, oh, man. All right. Understandable. <laughs> this, <laughs> Understandable. This franchise is going a direction. I can't I can't go there with you. So I think I saw it come out and I was like, ah, OK, that's the, the last one. I'll see it eventually. And so I finally saw it with a friend. And I remember being so excited with that first scene, that first mm-hmm. battle scene, because it reminded me so much of the uh, the first scene in in uh, A Phantom Menace, where you have a cool, epic, like, fight scene at the very beginning. Um, granted, this one's a space battle. The other one's definitely more of a, like, a, a duel on a ship. Yeah. But you still have that excitement. And I, it's such a beautiful battle scene. And it, it's, there's so much happening. There's action and lights and like lasers and everything and i i just remember loving it until there's that whole comedy sequence with r2d2 and okay that took you out of it the robots and i was like it's kind of a little slapsticky like this is kind of goofy and that kind of took me out of it a little bit and i i just never that scene always sticks it out in my mind even back then but just because it kind of made me once again realize like star wars is just kind of slapsticky at times and i don't know why they choose to go that direction with a serious character like r2d2 is kind of the sarcastic the unknowable sarcastic character you can't understand what he's saying but he's obviously sarcastic because he's always defending c3po and people's reactions to him are always like oh come on r2 so For him to be kind of this like goofy character in that moment really took me out of it. And I just I remember finishing that movie and really enjoying the movie as a whole. I definitely think it's an improvement from Attack of the Clones. But I just that scene always stuck out in my head just because it it kind of took me out of the movie. And that doesn't happen too often Mm -hmm. in movies. Usually when you suspend your disbelief and you're immersed in it, you really don't come out of it until the end. Mm -hmm. 
but like that was the first time I remember thinking like, oh, that's kind of weird. That's not really R2 and I'm kind of out of the movie now. And it took me a little while to get back in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember finishing it with my buddy and he didn't he wasn't like a huge Star Wars guy. I think it was like his dad's DVD or something like that. And we just had a okay. movie night and I was like, I want to watch that. Yeah. Um, but he he didn't really like it. But I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more. And it's going to be interesting with my last appeal, because lasting appeal, because it's, it's, okay. it's evolved over time. But yeah, sure. I, it, originally, when I saw it when I was 15, I, I enjoyed it, even though I it was the first movie that took me a while to work up the courage to go see. So for me, it wasn't like a landmark watching like phantom menace was where i was with all my friends in the theater watching it this one is more of like okay i got i know i have to watch it because i'm a star wars fan and i gotta kind of get through the the prequels here to to finish it off essentially yeah wow wow i'm so surprised that that's a pretty like bland initial response from the the, from the big star wars fan on the podcast here that Mm -hmm. is surprising to me now, I remember going to see this. I remember going to see it in theater. I went with my friend Austin. His mom took us. We we got in a little late, so we had to get, like, lower bowl seats. You know what I'm saying? So we're pretty close with our necks all craned up watching this movie. And I remember just from the, from the opening scene, like, okay, so this is a much different standard than Attack of the Clones. I remember thinking early on, mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm already watching a better movie because... <laughs> It just was like the, the 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 action sequences were better. The acting was a little bit better. The story was definitely better. But mm-hmm. getting through the movie, watching the movie, and I am with my buddy Austin, who loves Star Wars. He like reads the Star Wars books and everything. Like he's a big Star Wars guy. And he and I were were like the fantasy nerds, right? He was my dragon. He was my Dragonlance buddy. Like we'd read the books and talk about the stuff. And big Lord of the Rings fans, you know the whole thing. And so this movie ends, and he looks over at me when the movie's over, and he's like, man, that was the greatest movie I have ever seen. (laughs) And I liked this movie, right? Uh I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. And I know that he said this, wanting to get, like, the same response out of me to where I'm like, (laughs) yeah, man, me too, and, like, do that high-five moment. But I couldn't bring myself to do it. The only thing I could say was, you think so? <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <laughs> and so, and so uh, then we we talked the whole entire way, the whole entire drive home. Because at this point in time, like the movie theater was like a 20 minute drive from mm-hmm. our houses. And then we slept over his house and we like debated it. And I was like, yeah, man, they were good movies. But let's remember, like <laughs> Return of the King came out like two years ago. And Lord of the yeah. Rings trilogy is far superior than anything <laughs> the Star Wars prequels did. And I know I'm going to get flagged from a certain person who listens to this podcast who I work with. who's going to say that I only like fantasy stuff because he gives me a hard time about it. But Lord of the Rings is amazing. But I felt bad in the moment. Like, I wasn't arguing <laughs> yeah. with Austin or anything. It's just like, hey, man, you're one of my best friends. I got to be real with you. I can't let <laughs> you think that. <laughs> dude the the you think so like that is at least just give them like the ah it was okay like you gotta you gotta but it was better than okay it was better than okay it's just like that response just makes 
the other like him just questioned everything he just watched. <laughs> like he's just like, wait, why do I think that? So, oh my gosh, I would have even been like, what? Oh man. Oh man, and I got one more story about this movie. Okay, um, because I only saw it once in theaters, but then I I really wanted to see it again, and so it came out. I was a freshman in high school, like finishing up my freshman year when it came out on DVD, and I had saved up some money so that I could go see it. Uh, I mean, buy it when it came out. And so I'm just asking my mom, like, "Hey, mom, can I have a ride to the store so that I can?" you know, pick up Revenge of the Sith just came out. She's like, no, 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 I'm not taking you. It's a school night. Yada, da, da. And I'm like super mad. And I was like, mom, come on. I saved up money. You can't just give me like a, a 10 minute car ride. So I go get this movie. I, if you don't want me to watch it tonight, fine. I won't say I've been watching tonight, but can you at least drive me to the store? And I was being like a complete jerk about it. You know, like, like yeah. all the worst parts of of teenager life are coming out, and I'm just like, Ma, just take me to the stinking store. And then she like, <laughs> then she's getting mad at me, and she like, like stomps up to her room, and then, <laughs> and then just like starts coming down and like throws something across the table at me, and. <laughs> And then I'm holding it in my hand, and it's it's the movie. I'm holding Revenge of the Sith in my hand. She's like, I was going to surprise you this weekend for getting good grades, but you just had to be a brat about it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, I had more regret for my behavior and learned a bigger lesson from my mom, just like <laughs> searing that wound in, like, hey, you yeah. were being a complete jerk than if she would have just not let me bought it at all, Right. Or had made me wait a few days. I'm like, oh, man. She probably wasn't even really going for that in that moment. She was probably just mad and fed up with me. But, man, I felt so terrible. I felt bad. Look at that. Star Wars is teaching lessons, man. Uh, Like, lifelong lessons. Felt so bad. But not going to lie. I had I shamelessly watched it the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have it. I might as well watch it. Might as well. Oh, man. So that is the initial impact of uh, Revenge of the Sith in my life. But let's go over some of the facts about this movie. Because there there are some interesting facts about uh, some of the things that were cut from the film, some of the critical reception of the film, some of the audience reception of the film. So let's talk about that. Critics, they thought this movie was pretty good. Uh, According to Rotten Tomatoes, 79% of the critics said, yes, thumbs up, go see it, which was the first, (laughs) it was the first prequel Star Wars movie to get a thumbs up from the critics for them to say, hey, go see. They said Mm. both Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones were disappointments. On Metacritic, this is sitting at a 68, which is a good score. Like, if you can get at 70 at Metacritic, that's like, that's kind of where you really want to be. You want to be at 70 or above, but they got Mm. super close with 68. Now, this is where the reviews are really, really weird. So we go into the audience reviews. So Rotten Tomatoes has this as a 66% of audience members liked it, which is really strange because typically a, you know, there's not this much disparity between audience and critics, at least for movies made at this time. I feel like in modern movies, it's just audience and critics never get on the same page. Right. Uh, critics these days typically are terrible at recommending movies. If it's made by Disney, typically every critic's going to like it because they're all paid for. 
And uh, that's just my opinion on that. So, <laughs> and then audiences are kind of more in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. And then somehow Jurassic World Dominion, which I did see, which is a, a just like it's a straight down the line. Like this is a mediocre to possibly bad movie. Is like sitting at like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes and like an 80% score audiences. And I'm like, I mean, the movie was fine. Like, it was a fun time. Yeah. But like, I don't get Rotten Tomatoes sometimes. Anyway, I'm rambling. But on the Metacritic side of things, Revenge of the Sith gets a 7.8. So 66% of people give it a Hmm. thumbs up. And out of those 66% of people... Like, their Metascore, what they would rate it on Metascore, like, the people who liked it, like, really liked it, right? Yeah. And the people who didn't like it were either closer to a mixed review or um, negative. So it's, mm. it's kind of interesting how that weighted out. Now, another thing that I implemented and I would like to implement going forward for movies is the cinema score. So the cinema score is these are the people who first screen the movie and they immediately give it a score on an A plus to a D on cinema score. Uh, a plus being the best you can get, obviously a D being like really bad. Maybe they go to F, I can't remember, but not a lot of movies get Fs. But this got an A minus cinema score, which is pretty good. Like a bad cinema score is typically like if you're like B minus and lower for a big blockbuster, you don't want to be there because you're just getting like that raw emotional reaction. Like people leave in the theater and most people liked it. Hmm. IMDb has it at a 7.6, which is a good IMDb score, right? Yeah, it's solid. IMDb, anything that is seven or above is, is pretty good. So, yeah. Dude, any more with these critic stuff too or the ratings? I just feel like so many audiences, like audience scores are just brigading right now. So brigading, for those who don't know, is just people create accounts, get on, and they just vote it a one. Thanks, Zach. I definitely didn't know what that word meant. Even if it was like a good movie, they voted a one and they put in some dumb comment and then sent it off. And then when you just look at the raw score without looking at the comments, you just are like, what? I thought this was a good movie. It happened. Um, oh, what movie recently did that happen? I think it happened with Lightyear because when I looked at Lightyear, it was the despair, the, like the breakdown of it was either it was a five or a one. And there was like hardly anything in between, which goes to tell you like people are just either brigading this or or they're brigading it. Like that just like the difference between those two. It's just if with nothing in between it just doesn't happen. And so mm-hmm. I don't know what to trust, honestly, anymore when it comes to ratings, because people are now just like screwing with the ratings on purpose. Yeah, there was another movie recently that that. Oh, no, it was. um. It was Kenobi. It was the show. People just got on and just totally brigaded the show. Now, granted, yeah. the show until I haven't seen the newest one. I heard it's really good, the newest episode, but that's just what I hear. But it's, up until it's okay, all right? It's okay. Like I, we're gonna talk about Kenobi. We're not talking okay. about Kenobi today. We're not talking about. But we will do a full episode on Kenobi probably next week. Is that people brigaded the first two episodes when they came out? to make it seem like the show was worse than it was. And so I don't know. It's just, it's a phenomenon that's happening right now. It happened on Reddit a lot until they kind of controlled how like upvoting, downvoting works. So I wonder if these websites will do something or implement something similar 
yeah. in order to prevent that. Cause right now they're just, they're open wide. Like people yeah. are going in and just tanking movie scores for the audience scores on purpose. And yeah, for someone like me, it kind of sucks because you can't yeah. trust it. And in all honesty, like I, I don't want to just use this as like a way to plug ourselves, but you know, I am going to, because <laughs> I will say that when we do reviews, I feel like both of us try to be extremely fair. Mm-hmm. Like if we thumbs down something or we don't like something, we typically at least try to talk about the good things in there. And I think that's another thing about these aggregated review sites. I, w- I would believe that anybody doing reviews or critiques would say like, hey, read my full review. Don't just like take an aggregate of all the reviews and assume like a movie is one way or the other, right? Like, like I do think, like, and I, I talked about this with a handful of people. I think movies in general, there's such a low barrier of entry that, like, if you want to see it, just go see it and then, like, enter into the discussion. Like, if you want to listen to reviews and hear what other people think about it, I think that's the, the most fun way to engage with the movie. Like, if you're looking for a review to recommend whether or not you should go see something, I would just simply see if you can find a friend you know who has similar tastes mm-hmm. in what you like and ask them, hey, did you see it? What did you think? And that's the best way to get a recommendation on a movie. People on the yeah. internet and all of that, it's it's tough because everyone has different ways in which they think about stuff and different ways they explain it. And then for us, like we love to do reviews, but I hate doing reviews without doing spoilers because it's hard for me to like <laughs> fully yeah. like express my thoughts on something without just giving away the plot. I'm mm-hmm. just not good at it. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, we've um, tried it. It it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. It does. It it's just not how we engage with stories, because because once once the plot is broken, it's it's hard to critique a movie without yeah. being like, all right, I'm gonna use all this vague language when I can honestly say like this character just doesn't work. In fact, it destroys yeah. the movie. A uh, little bit of our tangent on reviews, but and reviews don't always matter because uh, even though 66% of people thumbed it down uh, a bunch of people were willing to spend money to go see it because it made 886 million dollars uh, across the globe and domestically it made 380 million dollars which is pretty good mm-hmm. and some things about the movie i thought were pretty interesting george lucas decided to start Jeez. writing this movie <laughs> as he wanted to write it as a romantic tragedy, which is why he immediately started working on Revenge of the Sith after Attack of the Clones. In fact, he started writing it before Attack of the Clones even wrapped. However, we have to put this into context because you guys are probably all thinking like, well, isn't that kind of how it's supposed to work? Well, yes, that's probably how it's supposed to work. But George Lucas, for the amount of great movies he's made, he is on record saying he hates writing. He hates writing. Yes, I said it. George Lucas <laughs> does not like writing, and he has some of the most iconic films ever made yeah. to his name, and he doesn't like writing. So, <laughs> so uh, I do. I think, like, this is a very—I I think this is a pretty good tragedy, actually, on a very elementary level. I think there are some times in this movie where it's very obvious— Lucas heard all the backlash of Anakin and Padme's romance from Attack of the Clones, and mm. then, I, and and I feel bad because the character of Padme kind of gets you know curbed in this movie, but I think it's mainly due to Lucas looked at the reception of Attack of the Clones and he's like, okay, I don't think I know how to write this character, 
And he did kind of avoid doing anything else with Padme in Revenge <laughs> of the Sith because of that. That is just my opinion. I don't know if that's true. But as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, he has no idea how to write the character. So he just doesn't even put her in the movie, like barely at all. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's the whole love portion, romantic portion of star the, the original or not the original, the prequel, the storyline is is completely absent in Revenge of the Sith. And I didn't know that he had started writing while Attack of the Clothes was still wrapping up. Mm-hmm. But it makes total sense then that he heard what people were saying. He understood that didn't really know what he was doing with Padme. And so just decided to go full political intrigue versus trying to dive further into this awkward relationship and it also could have been man like just there was no chemistry between Hayden Christensen and um Natalie Portman like there was just just seemed like a high school play between those two when they were on screen together and so and I don't know if that's because of the script I feel like it's very heavily influenced by the script that they just couldn't act like they were in love but it definitely felt better (laughs) in Revenge of the Sith because he Mm. just essentially removed it from the plot or at least put it so far in the backseat that it's just a handful of scenes in the movie. And it's very quick, very quick. I mean, I'll say that the issues with the prequels in general, I know a lot of people knock the acting, which obviously Hayden Christensen is probably not the best of actors. I mean, he didn't build like a ton of other movies after this. So... I mean, he probably is limited in his acting, but I don't really give him a ton of fault for the the bad portrayal of Anakin or the mediocre portrayal of Anakin because, mm-hmm. you know, I put at least 50% of it on the script, if not more, because just like watching it recently in, in the lines that are actually in there, it's like y- you missed Lawrence Kasdan in, in this mm. trilogy, like a ton. Because these are things that it's just like, man, like, this is a super basic way to say this. Or this is a really conveniently stated line that, you know. But at the same time, like my kids who were watching this with me, who are seven and six, totally grasp the story. So I know we knock it and we make fun of it, but it's a tragedy that is complex enough to be enjoyable for adults but also simple enough to be fully understood by elementary kids. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to call it genius, but I do (laughs) want to say that maybe the very obvious uh, dialogue in the movie is due to the fact that maybe the target audience was significantly younger than when you and I are teenagers that we wanted it to be. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I... Even though the movie's PG-13. Yeah, and (laughs) just like that, it it plagued all three of them. And so it was like, even watching it now, it's like there's so many lines where you're like, gosh, that's just, that's a hard line. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. (laughs) Like that's just... (laughs) That's just so clunky how yeah. you said it that way. <laughs> like, why not just say it like a normal person? It's like he tried to 
right almost to the Shakespearean level without understanding anything about Shakespeare. Like I want to write just, like Shakespeare, but if he lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was just like this weird, <laughs> like I'm going to meet him halfway kind of speak. Right. It wasn't even, yeah, it just, it wasn't even poetic. It was just kind of clunky no. all, most of the time. So yeah. anyways, that makes sense though, that he would kind of remove that storyline if he kind of, if he knew already what uh, people were thinking about Padme and, and Anakin. Yeah. Now the mythos of Star Wars and I've always questioned this, and George Lucas has stuck to it. The mythos of Star Wars is that all of these plot points were a part of his outlines in 1973. Now, what I read in George Lucas's biography contradicts this a little bit because he did write a lot of stuff, but it was very unorganized. Mm-hmm. But according to Lucas, this was the, these were the major plot points that he had always wanted to see pan out. The middle trilogy then the prequel trilogy and then the sequel trilogy which he never made but do you believe that or do you think that that is a just a another way to strongly market star wars um no i i honestly i can i can believe lucas on that i can believe that he wrote those plot points at some point while just throwing id because he was a he was a fanatic when it came to like pre planning his, his mm-hmm. stories. Like he would sit down at the typewriter every day and just have a list of names that he just randomly came up with and try and fit that into a story. And then he yeah. would just rework that and rework that and rework that. I mean, honestly he hates writing, but it's admirable. I, I, it is admirable how he writes. Yeah. Um, just because he's so obsessive with like re, doing the same thing over and over again and crafting it until he gets something that he likes. Um, Mm -hmm. So within that drafting and redrafting and redrafting over and over and over again, I think probably these plot points came about that were supposed to be in the original three movies, Mm -hmm. the a new hope empire strikes back and return of the Jedi that he just couldn't find space for. Mm -hmm. And so probably shelved them. And like, like you said, he's, he was super disorganized. So, Mm they probably just got lost in his papers and then later on was like, Oh yeah, I'll use these plot lines that I wrote, you know, 20 years ago. So I can believe that he wrote them. I don't know. He's a storyteller. So he probably fabricated a little bit that he had that in his mind from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that because I mean, Han Solo was like a green alien when he first wrote star Wars. So (laughs) that's, like, I don't believe that. But I think he eventually had wrote some of those plot lines. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's more fun to think that mm-hmm. he had it all planned from the beginning. But there's <laughs> yeah. just, like, when you watch the original New Hope, it's so diff- like it's so different from everything else that follows. He had no idea if he was going to be able to make a sequel. I think ideally he would have liked to. But Star Wars, the original, he just had to they had to deliver the best movie possible as if they were only ever making one movie. You know, there was like a sequel was not guaranteed before Star Wars made money. That that is just that is a fact. So let's get into a little bit more information on Revenge of the Sith. The title of the film is actually paying homage to Return of the Jedi. There actually is some merchandise out there, very expensive merchandise that still exists. Return of the Jedi was originally supposed to be called Revenge of the Jedi. And 
uh, marketing material was printed up. It was the original name of the film. And then George Lucas in the 11th hour decided like, you know, Jedis aren't aren't supposed to be warriors of revenge. So the title seems to suggest that the Jedi might be evil. So then he switched it to Return of the Jedi, which again, that's one of those things where, yes, we kind of tease on some of the quirks of Lucas, but he does understand story. He would be a very good consultant on story. However, when it comes to writing scripts, it's just his weakness. He'll say it's his weakness. He doesn't like doing it. He likes filming. He likes editing. He likes seeing everything come together, but he does not like writing. But I think that was a good rename to Return of the Jedi. But with that, then now you get Revenge of the Sith, which actually makes a lot more sense with this plot line. So that was a pretty cool thing. And then this is this is one of the things, major omission from the film, and I don't know if it's anywhere in Star Wars canon at the, at the moment, but there was supposed to be a scene in there where Palpatine reveals to Anakin that he was actually the one who created him through midichlorians, and that is how Shmi Skywalker was able to birth him without having a father. And I think that this is a hmm. disappointing cut from the film because yeah. I, I think I think that that is way more compelling than Anakin being the um, the child who was immaculately conceived, or even you know some people will even theorize that Shmi was lying to Qui Gon and she didn't want to reveal who the father was. Uh, you know, like, yeah, or maybe she didn't know who the father was because something happened to her. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that that omission, I get maybe uh, it got cut because maybe it was just going a little too out there. People didn't uh, receive the midichlorians well in Phantom Menace. But yeah, man, I think that that's like a super compelling argument because then what was intended for evil ultimately is what brings balance to the force. Right. Mm -hmm. Like like the creation of evil is, you know, he is the chosen one. It just kind of pans out a little different. But uh, I found that kind of like a a disappointing omission. What do you think? about? Yeah. Oh, man, that could have been. I can see why that was out there, because not so much out there, but the fact that you're bringing up the midichlorians again and that just kind of ruined the whole mysticism of the force and like who was a Jedi and who wasn't. It was like, Oh, so this is all genetic lottery. So I, I can see why, but it would have been really interesting if, if Palpatine had influence on creating Anakin, like actually create, not just like influencing him to become a Sith, but like, Hey, I am going that's like 40 chess. That's like he's a, he's moving all the pieces. That would make him seem even more powerful than what he because at the end of the day, what he does to like overthrow the Senate and everything seems kind of like, really? Like you're all just going along with. Yeah. This guy. Thunderous <laughs> like, plus. Yeah. So it, it, it would have made it seem like he's way more intelligent than these people mm-hmm. rather than just taking advantage of, you know, some teenage angst from Anakin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have I would have actually given a big thumbs up to that. Yeah, um, me too. And then lastly, you got to appreciate Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor. Maybe, you know, you can cheat, you know, tease on their 
performances at times, but these guys learned how to do all their own lightsaber duels for this movie and every movie that they were in. No stuntmen or anything. So when you see that final duel, that's them, except mm. for you know the CGI moments that that are computer graphics. But big props to them. It's it's like the most iconic moment of probably the entire prequel trilogy. It's the most it's the most important battle, right? Because it is mm. it is basically Anakin's fall to the dark side, right? And yeah. uh, that little tiny glimmer of hope that that there is still some some light out there between Obi-Wan and Yoda, but, uh, a g- great scene, a lot of, lot of emotions, even though, you know, a, a powerful moment that just, if you got to get a script doctor, man, like <laughs> from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Like, oh my God. You know, come on. How many, yeah. how many times did we try reworking that one? Come on. That could have, yeah. that could have been one of the most powerful moments. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> Yeah, the, you know, the clunkiness of the script really plagued yeah. the prequels. Even into a good prequel yeah. movie, still plagued a lot yeah. of the, yeah, I mean, just, the, I mean, it is an iconic moment that is, it could have been like that perfect emotional stake to the heart if mm-hmm. they just, would have had a script doctor that would have been yeah. like let's, re- let's rework some let's, of these let's rethink these this lines. this might be one of the most important dialogue exchanges that that you have in an entire trilogy of films you know we're really yeah. trying to you know maybe put the lightsabers down for a minute and have a verbal duel between obi-wan and anakin but it was like uh, they were debating something in the classroom well yeah. in my opinion right <laughs> from my point of view the jedi yeah. are evil yeah, it's, it's like, like okay. You know, there's just so many different ways you could do it. Like, where were the Jedi when my mother was murdered? Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. Just like just to instead of just saying what he thinks, just you know, point out those brutal questions of like where the Jedi failed. Like, where were they when when this happened or this happened or that? Yeah. Happened? Easy yeah. fix. Easy fix. Easy but, fix. But the movie was getting pretty long at that point. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a long movie. Ah, so those are some fun facts about the movie. At this point, I just want to ask you, like, so I have some just opinions, what I'm calling my takes on the film that I've got a few written down here. Like, what are your general takes on this movie? Some opinions. You could have, like, a super hot take if you want to give one. But what do you think about this movie? Um, Overall, it's definitely – it's ironic um, that it is the high point in the sequels, but – obviously the low point in the story it is the best of the three although man dude watching this one again a lot of political intrigue i was actually surprised to hear that you know your boys liked it as much because watching it i was like man there's a lot of just he's a spy spying on him and now he's spying on the jedi it's just like i don't it's a lot of just political intrigue and maneuvering anakin around and so I don't know if I have too many takes on it that haven't already been said. Sure. Um, other than watching it, it's still like, man, compared to some of the, the the better Star Wars movies, this one still drags a lot in the middle. Um, and I think that for all the good that the Jedi are portrayed to, to embody, they really look like kind of dumb in this movie or they really blow it at certain times in this yeah. movie which is like maybe intentional 
But you know, why were there no masters at the temple besides? See, yeah, there's nobody protecting it, it, these kids. Well, They're I guess they all eating. did go to arrest Palpatine, right? Like the only remaining masters, they all went to arrest Palpatine. But, but only Mace Windu. But why was that one. a good idea? Like, yeah, and then, I mean, even when they have Palpatine, or like when you know Mace Windu tells Anakin, "Hey, you're not coming with me on this one," even though you're the one that you know hatched this whole uh, plot and idea. Like, no, you stay. Like, what's the harm, man? Like, yeah. I. I like, the whole thing they come back to is like, well, he's too emotional. He's He's got too much, uh, like, I don't know, like consternation in him that mm-hmm. he's he's going back and forth between doing what he feels and what he doesn't feel. It, I just don't find that a good reason. Um, and the Jedi just seem kind of like the bad guys in this, honestly, in, in, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. or just incompetent. And so like you're the wisest people, but you couldn't see Palpatine for what he was, even though like I get he was probably clouding their judgment. But it's like Yoda, really? He's clouding Yoda's judgment. He's supposed to be the most powerful Jedi other than Anakin. So, yeah, I just I didn't watching it again. I didn't really enjoy the Jedi as much um, just because they seem so incompetent. Yeah, I mean, and I think. That is maybe, I don't know, I I don't know. I think possibly an intended perspective because ultimately, what do we know? Like, what do we really know about the Jedi? We know from what we see from the original trilogy and then some of what we see from the, the prequels, which maybe they were too focused on, like, the rigid side of their rules and not as yeah. focused on the actual principles of their practices, right? Kind of like, mm-hmm. kind of like you know, if you want to, you know, give like a biblical relation to where like where Judaism was at when Jesus showed up, right? Like it was a very rigid religion that was in, you know, most of its people were just in need of a different message, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, you know, I maybe that's like some high concept George Lucas stuff. I have no clue. I've never heard <laughs> that. That's me. Yeah. Um, that's me maybe doing a little bit of story favors, as I like to call it. Uh, benefit of the doubt but yeah Yeah. i I agree the jedi like the jedi that you meet were not the jedi you thought you were gonna meet when you were a kid right when you were anticipating the prequel trilogy i think Mm. a lot more of us thought the jedi would be more like qui-gon in less like mace windu you know yeah a lot like yeah definitely less than the mace windu and then the classic line i just gotta bring it up if you're not with me then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Just right there. Like, come on. The 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 <laughs> Jedi. It is it is the Jedi though to totally contradict themselves. Like so many Using an just, absolute. <laughs> yeah. The the fan theories are all out there on the Jedi and everything. Um, but it is kind of a kicker at the end that he says that and after you've seen kind of the incompetence and the the just sheer lack of foresight by the Jedi. And then all of a sudden you just get that line delivered by (laughs) one of the most admired generals and Jedi in star Wars. And it's just like, Oh man, buddy, you really don't see the bigger picture here. So 
Honestly, maybe I don't. Maybe this is the hot take. Like maybe the Jedi deserved what they got just because they were becoming so arrogant in their own rules and their ways, and they kind of needed a little shakeup to be like, "Hey, look, you're not seeing it all. You're just so huddled in your own temple that." You're not seeing everything. So that's what Ryan Johnson thought. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Gosh. Man. But yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's my take is maybe the Jedi deserved what they got. Ooh, man. That, you know, that is, I would say that you would get a decent amount of support in that. Um, Mm. It's not a terrible theory. It's, it's like a, you know, an organization that just got too comfortable being super revered and super powerful that they didn't question, like, maybe we need to a little bit. But uh, yeah. a couple couple takes I have here, I've already mentioned a few that I have written down. But I actually think out of all the Star Wars movies, on paper, the concept of this story is is probably the second best concept. Like, if you were pitching this movie to me, and you pitched every single Star Wars movie, I would say, okay, that Empire Strikes Back movie, that's your best idea. That's for sure (laughs) your best idea. But that Revenge of the Sith one right there, that's definitely your second best idea. And then this this movie is just hurt by awkward execution. Like, this could have really been one of the best Star Wars movies, if not the best, like my friend said, the greatest movie of all time. But poor dialogue choices, bad acting, and then... Just feeling detached from the world is another thing that the prequel trilogies are hurt with because there's no practical sets, right? It is all blue screen. And you just can tell it's all fake, which takes you out of the movie quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And then my my biggest hot take of this uh, whole entire thing is I think, and of course we're talking on paper here, is on paper Anakin has the best character arc in all of Star Wars, uh, even if you delete the Disney films, right? Like, like we'll just say one through six, the Lucas films. Because yeah. <clears throat> it really is, like, you can tell that before any of this was put into script form, the whole character arc of Anakin was written out. You can see mm-hmm. the whole circle of the hero's journey there. And... Mm. And it, it does. It plays very nice, like the, you know, 15-minute rundown of Anakin's story. But then when yeah. you get to the writing and the acting and the, the some of the cheesiness that happens in the romance, it's like, all right, well, execution was a big problem there. But it really is such a good idea. And it feels so much like your typical... A tragic myth, right? It, it just mm. it is. This is this is kind of very much like a Greek tragedy, you know. I, I think if there was a little more time put into maybe targeting an older audience, I think the focus on targeting a younger audience means you kind of get the movie that you get, right? One that yeah. feels a little juvenile at times and um, style over substance at at times mm. as well, but. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and go into my lasting appeal because I am going to talk about the political intrigue and talk about uh, watching this with my kids because my kids, they did enjoy it. And the way I pitched the first three movies to them, as I said, this is the story of how Darth Vader comes to power. And I didn't tell my kids like anything else. I said, these three movies, you're going to find out where Darth Vader comes from because, you know, they know about Darth Vader and all that. 
And so they they haven't seen the original trilogy, so they haven't connected that Darth Vader is Luke's father and all that. That'll be another su- – well, I guess that won't be a surprise for them because, you know, that's kind of yeah. revealed in Revenge of the Sith. But uh, anyway, uh, they they've they liked all of these movies. And, and one of the things I'll say is like I feel like this was an attempt to have like this political intrigue type of story because that's what the prequel trilogy is. But like with a script that's for a child, right? Like the story concept is for an adult, but the script is for a child. Mm-hmm. And – it does work for like a really young kid. Like, like these are movies like my kids enjoyed watching. Like, they don't, you know, like watching uh, a lot of other movies, um, but these ones they did. Like, they're still into like younger animated films and all that. Kind of like more older audience focus. Like, I would say Star Wars still probably targets like a ten year old kid is probably their target audience. Yeah, but. You know, I do this. I have to admit this trilogy works and this one definitely works because of like my kids legitimately came up with like questions of why, you know, what Mm. evil is. Right. Like really understanding that Palpatine deceived Anakin and he shouldn't have done that in like betrayal. And so there are a lot of deep themes in there that you can talk to a kid about that they can see in this movie and it was pretty neat. It was pretty neat to see. It was neat to see my kids grasp. And I really enjoyed watching this. And I do. I have to say, like, hey, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think when when the prequels came out, we were closer to our teenage years. So I feel like we judged them a lot more harshly than, like, younger kids who it was, like, their first experience with Star Wars or something. So yeah. uh, that's my lasting appeal for the movie. The, the prequel trilogy as a whole is mm. – uh, there is fun to be had watching it with your kids, uh, yeah. and especially once you get to uh, Revenge of the Sith, because it is. It's a really heavy story, but, you know, th- those are things that you do. You got to talk to kids about, like, betrayal and what's right, what's wrong, you know. But yeah, Unlimited that's my, power. That's my, <laughs> that's my lasting appeal. And I do. I enjoy this movie more every time I watch it. Um because it's like, man, I mean, maybe part of that is the Disney effect, what Disney's done to Star Wars. But yeah, I do like this movie. Huh. That's no, that's that is interesting, man, because I when I watched it again to get ready for this podcast, I found myself just thinking, oh, this is just so much political intrigue in the middle that mm-hmm. I don't know. I, how is this exciting to kids? Like, obviously, the first scene is ultimately exciting like you have a space battle that transfers to a sword like lightsaber fight in a ship that they gotta you know then fight the big bad guy and it's it's a rescue mission all wrapped up in a rescue mission so it the the beginning is an exciting story in and of itself and then you kind of taper off into the Jedi trying to maneuver against Palpatine and then Palpatine countering. And that's exciting for adults, but I, it's interesting that they, it's, it's hopeful that they followed along, that they, they understood and that they enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a, it's a, for my lasting appeal, it's definitely the, the best of the original three. I think if I had like one 
other criticism other than what we've talked about, um, it's something actually my wife pointed out as we were watching is that even though that final battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin is is iconic, she turned to me at one point. She's like, this battle has been going on for a really long time. <laughs> it is. It's it's a fight that's like a little too long. Like they're yeah. fighting all over Mustafar. And it's like this can be kind of contained a little right. more. We don't need to see you f- fighting on robots over a lot like lake of lava and like think about like realistically how exhausted they would have been they should have been like slogging with <laughs> oh my gosh they dude like, they would have been burnt Ugh. up i was like isn't this a fire planet but they're just <laughs> completely immune to the heat as they're floating over a <laughs> river of lava yeah so I, the you know the science doesn't check out there but too you well, gotta but. you gotta like with stuff like that too and i feel like you know, the whole suspension of disbelief, right? Like, if we were to tell a mythological tale around the campfire and say that the two battled for hours, right? That would feel like standard mythology. But when you see it on the screen, it's a little bit like, man, they've been fighting forever. What the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, here? like, I, I don't need to see a battle for hours on on the screen. I, I want to get to the end <laughs> and see that epic I have the high ground scene. Um, Because the, the, that's the thing. Like, Revenge of the Sith has a lot of iconic moments mm-hmm. in it. It's got actually a lot of great lines. Like, I actually really do love the like so this is how democracy dies or this is how Mm -hmm. liberty dies by thunder or with thunderous Mm -hmm. applause it's a great line honestly um the comic book version of this movie is amazing really no i'm just saying like think about it as a comic oh oh oh, i was like all of the best parts of it just in like certain photos with the best lines it's like you know what that's incredible that was masterful yeah that, I mean, it is, it is, yeah. I can, if you view it through that lens, yeah, it's awesome. But there's some iconic scenes that I really enjoy now still that I look forward to. But ultimately, as a whole of the trilogy, since we're wrapping it up, of, of the prequels, great, great character building, world building, awesome plot arc for Anakin. I mean, it does kind of solidify that Vader is essentially the main character of the first six movies, even though obviously Luke takes over four, five, and six. It's still arguably the plot of of Vader and his redemption, which is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful concept to wrestle with. It's mm-hmm. like, what is, can someone fall and be redeemed? And it's it's a, a, a theme and a, a, a story that is, resonates in our in our core but the execution is a little rough on lucas's writing yeah part which kind of makes it cheesy at times and jar jar binks doesn't help the cause so um a lasting appeal though yeah that's that's it for me um i i do like this movie a lot it's definitely the best of the original three yeah Yeah, and that is a wrap on Revenge of the Sith. We have some mail that we want to read here. It's just one email, and then we'll wrap up just sharing our highlights of 2022 so far, the things that we've watched or read that we think is worth your time as well. So let's get to the mailbag. You've got mail. This is coming from a listener of the show and friend named Jim. He says, and it's entitled, the subject is Cody, Captain America hater. 
I was just wondering why Cody hates Captain America so much. I mean, Winter Soldier has to be in the top three of Marvel movies. Always so negative. And I'm awaiting his review of Shang-Chi. Best regards. All right. So, Jim, thanks so much for writing in. And for the rest of our listeners who want a little bit of context here, I am probably a little harsh on the Captain America films, especially Civil War. That's a movie that I'm super hard on, but I still regard it as like a mid-tier Marvel movie. Like, it's worth watching. I think it's overrated. Now, I do think they screwed up Captain America's story arc in Endgame. And I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not, but this is something I've really developed over time that they really messed Captain America up. And if you look at it through a certain lens, he kind of comes across as a total douche throughout (laughs) Endgame because he recruits his friend to get back into fighting who is ready to retire, who then invents time travel. His friend is then the one who has to die in order to save humanity, thus leaving a a child fatherless and a wife as a widow, all so that Captain America can go back in time and finally have this dance with a woman whom he loves, who the real hero would have just like moved on, right? It's like, get over it, man. You missed your shot. You saved the universe a couple times. And then he has the audacity to then come back forward in time. And then when they ask him, like, hey, do you want to talk about, you know, what the last 70 or so years were like? He's just like, no. It's like, what? What? What a what a tool. <laughs> like what what yeah. a bag. Like yeah. man. Yeah. So so I do not like how Captain America's story goes from basically the end of Civil War to how the series concludes. Mainly because I think just through the lens that I looked at it from, I just found Captain America to just be really unlikable most of the time in the like final few films. Now that's just me. Mm. That's my opinion. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I actually think that most of the Captain America movies are good. I don't think the first Avenger is very good, but I think Winter Soldier is good. And I think Civil War is okay. And then as far as Shang-Chi goes, uh, we may or may not review Shang-Chi, but I am on, you know, I am somewhat notorious at work for being the guy who says that Shang-Chi is a bottom three. Marvel movie. So, yes. And the fact that it has a 71 on Metacritic and Infinity War only has a 68 is a crime against all movie reviews. It's a crime. There you have it. Wow. (laughs) Talk about hot takes. So, yeah. There's that. Maybe I'll talk about Shang-Chi on the podcast sometime if Zach ever wants to talk about it, but uh, then it would have to mean I watch it again. So do you guys really want to put me through that? I don't know. I'll do it for the listeners. There you go. There you go. (laughs) But Zach, why don't we move on, wrap it up here. Let's give the best movies, shows, or books that we have enjoyed over the last six months of the year. I figure since we're kind of at the halfway point in the year, let's give an update on the things we've really liked. So Zach, I'll have you go first. It can be anything you want, anything you want to talk about, however many things you want to recommend, you go. Um, Yeah, I'll do a couple things here um, just to keep it short and sweet. Uh, Favorite movies so far this year i'm gonna have to say i 
this was kind of out of out of nowhere. My wife and I sat down and I talked about this in our in the newsletter, but it's it's kind of stuck with me. Um the the kindergarten teacher was okay. this really uncomfortable movie that I I hadn't watched. It's not even a horror movie. It's just it's about a teacher who discovers essentially one of her students is a poetic genius, like literally a poetic genius. But there's only certain moments where this genius comes out of him. Um, And she doesn't know how to bring it about. She just knows that she needs to be around when he starts reciting poetry so she can record it and just recognize his talent. And she's basically like, this guy's a genius. He's there's talent here. We need to preserve this. And we live in the 21st century and people don't really care about that. His father doesn't care about that. They just care about working hard, making money, like providing for your family. And like, it's a long shot. And so it's this whole idea of like artists and like the idea of art and how they're, are we killing artists essentially because we're just saying you got to put food on the table for your family or should we start listening to maybe some of the artists because there's our, there are geniuses out there. And so the lengths that this teacher goes to in order to protect this kid in her eyes, protect this kid and to preserve his talent and his genius is uncomfortable. That's the mm-hmm. best way I can describe it without giving anything away. But she goes to more and more extreme need or extremes to be around this kid and things that a teacher definitely should not do and crosses Mm -hmm. the line between like being a teacher and her student. And so the movie is stuck with me because it is just like, man, if it, this could have gone really bad, really, Mm -hmm. really bad. Like if this was another type of movie, but it's not a horror movie. So I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite movies this year. Um, and then books so far, I've been plowing through a lot of books, man. Um, I recently read and I really enjoyed, um, I haven't read them in a while, Terry Pratchett's, um, it's called, oh, geez, I just blanked on the name. It's um, the third book in his Discworld series, Weird Sisters, I think is what it's called. Okay. Um, it's uh, essentially a, a classic story of, you know, this girl is born who is the eighth. Well, the legend has it. The eighth son of the eighth son will be like a great wizard. And okay. unfortunately, the eighth son of the eighth son actually ends up being a daughter. And okay. so this wizard goes as like before the daughter's even born, he gives up his staff because he's supposed to give his staff to like the the great wizard. And mm-hmm. right as the person's born, he finds out like, oh, crap, this is a daughter this is okay. and no and it's this whole con- idea uh of no wizards have ever been a female they're female wizards are witches and so there's okay. just it's kind of this dogma that they go sure. by in in the book and so it's it's terry pratchett so it's hilarious um yep. but it's this girl's journey with um this other woman called granny weatherwax who's a witch um and they journey to the university where there are only wizards, male wizards, mm-hmm. and it's her journey to become a wizard and how to overcome social norms and how to overcome gender norms. Okay. And it's hilarious, though. It's so funny. Um, I I miss Terry Pratchett. I, he passed away in 
2015. Um, but his Discworld novels are some of my favorite novels on this planet. And so reading him again, um, yeah. Weird Sister uh, is... I, I want to make sure that's right. Weird Sister. But reading him again um, just reminded me of how joyful his world is because it yeah. does nothing makes sense in it. He it's very soft magic. Even though yeah. he tries to go into it a little bit, it's always quirky and funny. Um but I'm trying to look up Discworld novels just real quick because um I want to make sure I got this book right for anybody who um wants to to read it. Weird Sisters. Yep, it is Weird okay. Sisters. So um go check the, oh no I'm sorry equal rights. <laughs> <laughs> equal rights is it so there's three books in the in the or multiple books actually more than three of the the witch so the none of the yeah. books in Discworld are chronological you can read any book um and still get a full story out of it but there are sagas i guess you can say where they all kind of center around the same characters and so the witch saga has like equal rights uh weird sisters which is abroad but equal rights sorry equal rights is what i just read but equal rights as in r-i-t-e-s um okay so it's it's a play on on that word but yeah i would say those are the two show or movie and book that i've I've really enjoyed this year how about you man well i'll start off i'll start off with a movie i think i'm gonna approach this uh from the angle of a movie i think everyone should see and it's actually a pretty easy recommendation I, i honestly i really think if you haven't seen Top Gun yet, it's probably going to be available to stream here on Paramount in a few weeks. If you want to go out to the theater and see it, I think it's worth it. It's worth seeing in the theaters to see the the big shots with the airplanes and all that and the sound system of the theater. It's totally worth seeing. But the reason why I think this movie is so good. Now, I, I want to temper expectations because this movie has got praise upon praise upon praise. I don't think that... Maverick does anything storytelling wise that's just groundbreaking. However, because it is so traditional, it's refreshing because it's like, oh, you know, like there is a standard that is met. And and I think the thing is, is like we grew up super spoiled. We are legitimately nitpicking Revenge of the Sith, which by today's standards, if that came out, it'd be like a pretty pretty darn good movie, right? Like Mm -hmm. a good solid blockbuster because it at least follows a lot of good story structure. And I think that Maverick is a good example of like what people really want to see is they want good story structure And they want to be impressed. They want to be impressed with what you can make. And you put actors in fighter jets, and that's impressive. Like, Mm. massive props to the whole team that made that, them getting the technology available, the actors signing up to be flying in jets to shoot this movie. Like, that is that's impressive. And and it's not, like, even that safe, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. they... They, they train for like four or five months to be prepared to do so. And uh, I, I heard that Miles Teller, one of the actors in the movie, ended up like getting real sick because he got engine fuel in his blood somehow. Uh, jet engine fuel in his blood. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, they, and to me, that's like, okay, these are the types of things when actors do this, I can respect acting a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do. I recommend it. It's a movie that you got to watch. 
And then a show. I'm going to recommend a show because I am the guy, right? I'm like the I don't get into a bunch of shows type of guy, right? However, I will say I'm trying to give shows another shot. And I found one. I find, like I feel like this show was made for me. And that is Barry. And I know that I texted you about the show. Yeah. And I've watched the show all the way through. It's about a hitman who wants to become an actor. And it's just like <laughs> all these goofy events that keep happening that he just wants to he just wants to stop being a hitman. But something's always following him to where he's always finding himself yeah. killing people. It's just <laughs> like it's dark humor. It's like it's one of those things where I like stories about hitmen that are serious, but I like a good parody on something that I enjoy. Right. Yeah. So. So it is. And sometimes I feel like it's a little it's got a little bit of like Hollywood self-indulgence. Right. Because whenever you involve actors in a in a show or a movie, it's like, all right, well, you know, we know what's going on here. You tune mm-hmm. your own horns. But it is pretty funny. And yeah. if you like dark humor, if you're willing to if it doesn't make you uncomfortable to laugh when you see somebody die in a hilarious <laughs> way then Barry is definitely a show that's worth checking out it's on HBO Max the episodes are only like 25 minutes so you can kind of like plow through them mm-hmm. you know uh but i yeah it's one of those things where cuz you know especially with like the specific thing that i'm working on in writing i need to like observe all sorts of different types of comedies in which like plot devices they use while still remaining funny and mm. Barry kind of was very inspiring for me in a lot of ways so that's awesome yeah Barry, I'll have to check I, I that out checking it out it is pretty funny so yeah so yeah guys thank you so much for listening this was a bit of a longer one and uh, let us know if you liked the format of us just kind of trying to get started in the main topic a little bit quicker we kind of skipped you know and put like stuff we would normally do at the intro at the end let us know if you like that you enjoy that head over to studio.com. check out what we have over there you can talk to us through the community tab and make sure to sign up through the mailing list but for now we're leaving and we will talk to you next time on Parallel Quest bye bye see ya